Our lesson today is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, found on page 62 of your New Testament Pew Bible. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and after he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay what repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Good morning. A special welcome to uh, Barb and Pete Hulak, who are back from almost a month abroad in the UK. It's good to look up there and see Barb on uh, her organ bench. It feels like all is right with the world. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you were here last Sunday, yes, this is the same scripture text which Ian preached on. And if you weren't here last Sunday, heads up, I am preaching on this text today. It's not a mistake. Um, This is the iconic text Um, about being neighborly. We're preaching a four-week series on neighborliness or neighboring or neighbor love. Who is my neighbor? The lawyer asked Jesus after Jesus summed up the law and the prophets in one imperative, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Paul later in Galatians wrote, For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why did Jesus choose neighborliness 
as a theme? Why did we choose neighborliness as a theme? We think it's compelling that for Jesus, it was the crux of all the commandments. And being a good neighbor is essential to the health of the whole community. The definition of neighbor is one is someone or a place that is nearby or connected to or in close proximity to oneself. Neighborliness, according to today's story, is a radical act of getting up close and personal. Neighborliness is not just about sharing an abundance from your garden, although the practice of sharing zucchini and tomatoes is fantastic, and I hear that those are going around these days. Neighborliness is not just about complimenting your neighbor's Halloween decorations or Christmas lights, although being kind is essential. Neighborliness fulfills or fills out the law, the commandments. So we're trying to understand how the practice of neighborliness impacts not only the health of our communities, but ask the question, might it be the key to the health of the soul of our nation? These are some of the portals we are venturing into with this theme. Now, if you look closely at the cover of your bulletin, you will probably recognize the well-known lyrics to the iconic song from the PBS children's program, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And the reason I'm going to explain a little bit about Mr. Rogers and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is because Ian and I strongly assumed that everyone knows Mr. Rogers. And we were surprised that two of our younger staff members weren't familiar with him at all, or a little vague, vaguely. Um, they had never watched him. So we decided to enlighten them, which they were so appreciative, making them watch a YouTube video. If you look closely at the image on the front, what do you see? What's it, what do you see behind there? Yes, right, meaning his cardigan. I uh, give thanks for Joe, our new graphics assistant. Um, she was so clever, and she creatively indulged me and my enthusiasm for Mr. Rogers, so I thought that was pretty clever. So a renewed interest in Mr. Rogers and his long-running children's program um, was evident by the 2018 award-winning documentary of his life, and I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Mr. Rogers was not only a mild-mannered, kind gentleman who enjoyed entertaining children. Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian minister ordained to television programming. Fred Rogers viewed his neighborhood as a call, as his ministry. The neighborhood was his weekly message, dare I say, sermon, his weekly message of the gospel of radical inclusion. His neighborhood was a witness to God's love for all people. The first episode aired in 1968. 
1968. Think about that. Think about all that was going on in 1968. The nation was deep in racial tensions. The Vietnam War was going on. The women's movement was taking um, hold in the nation. And Mr. Rogers' neighborhood extolled the message of unconditional love for all children. The neighborhood, he thought, was a manifestation of the kingdom. Mr. Rogers chose an African-American man to play the mailman character, Mr. Clemens. And in one particular episode in 1969, Mr. Rogers asked Officer Clemens to join him as Fred was washing his own bare feet in a blue kiddie pool. Mr. Clemens welcomed the invitation to remove his shoes and put his feet in the pool. So side by side were brown feet and very, very pale white feet. So this radical image, an act of resistance amidst the racially charged atmosphere of the 60s, it was unacceptable still for blacks and whites to share swimming pools. Fred, with a blue towel draped over his shoulder, washed Mr. Clemens' feet, a profound allusion to Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Fred knew exactly what he was doing. He was giving a prophetic witness to a neighborhood, to a neighborhood in which Fred believed that God intended for all children to swim in the same pools. Fred also made sure that the children in his audience represented all skin tones and ethnicities. And he told them stories about the ways different kinds of people lived in the world. And he taught them about how the world is healthier when we are neighborly. Fred wanted his program to be a visible answer to the question, who is my neighbor? Now listen again to the story Jesus told. The Samaritan, an ethnic person despised by the Jews, actually the feeling was mutual, he was the third traveler to come upon a man who'd been beaten by robbers and left for dead. The first two men, a priest and a Levite, both very religious, upon seeing the beaten man, passed over to the other side of the street to avoid him. They distanced themselves from him. They chose not to be nearby. But the third man, the Samaritan, instead, the text says, drew near to the injured man. The Samaritan chose to be his neighbor, and he was moved by compassion, and he closed the dis distance between them. He bandaged his wombs. He anointed them with oil and with wine. He carried the man to the innkeeper and left him there. And then he paid the hospital bills when he returned. And Jesus asked the lawyer, who of the three men do you suppose was the neighbor 
to the victim of the robbery. And the one, the one who showed mercy, the lawyer, rightly said. The true neighbor inconvenienced himself, and he shared his resources, and he entered into a relationship of authenticity with the beaten man. The Samaritan chose neighborliness. It's hard to be a neighbor. It takes effort, it takes time, and we're busy, and we're tired. According to the general social survey in 2016, the 34% of all Americans reported they never socialize with their neighbors, with their real neighbors. It's an all-time high. And there are all sorts of reasons why. We can guess we spend more time indoors watching TV or being on social media rather than sitting on our porch. And we use cars more than walking, although this is more applicable to Clevelanders than to Denverites. Gentrification is having an impact on the strong fabric of social connections that has been historical in so many neighborhoods. Families are moving in and out of neighborhoods, making them less socially stable. So as a consequence, we trust our neighbors less we are more wary of each other. We easily misunderstand each other. We simply don't know each other. And our biases against those we don't know have free reign subconsciously or consciously because of our lack of connection. Now, my family, the Beals, had two teachable lessons regarding stereotypes with a couple of neighbors about 15 years ago in Cleveland. The neighbors in the house to the south of us were pretty tepid when we moved in. Both the husband and wife moved quickly from their car into their house and to their car into their house, avoiding eye contact. So I chalked up their aloofness to shyness and I shrugged it off when I received a lackluster hello. Our houses were separated by 10 feet. So it was pretty hard to avoid one another. You really had to make an effort um, not to uh, interact. But I finally got the opportunity to win them over. I made my move at our block party's 42nd annual holiday progressive dinner. We were at the first stop, the appetizers. And I cornered my quiet neighbor and persisted in a conversation as much as she tried not to make eye contact with me. I just zeroed in on her. Well, come to find out, she and her husband were Jewish, and they had heard that a minister and a religion professor were moving in next door. <laughs> Understandably, they were nervous. And you can't blame them. They feared we would be waiting in the shrubs for the opportunity to knock on their door and to try to convert them to Christianity. And after they realized we were not at all, we weren't at all interested in converting them, they started to breathe more easily. Now our neighbors to the north of us presented a different opportunity to test our neighborliness. 
It's a warm June day, and a group of our friends were helping us uh, move into the house, unload our moving truck. And while we're moving boxes in and out, our new neighbor decides to cut down a tree near our driveway, a tree his wife had been pestering him to take down all spring before the new neighbors moved in. It wasn't a large tree, but it was sizable enough that it took a couple of guys, a few ropes, a ladder, a serious saw to bring it down. Well, unfortunately for him, the tree falls toward our house. In fact, on our roof. Right in the middle of the driveway between our door and our moving truck rested a tree. Poor fellow, he was mortified. But we didn't have to be angry because his wife <laughs> and his mother-in-law took really good care of that for all of us. And our roof was fine. So his wife shared with me later, I asked my husband, what assumptions do you think those people are going to make about the only African-American couple in the neighborhood? She was afraid the incident would create a rift in our new relationship, and it might fan any flames of racial bias that we were moving in with us. But thankfully, quite the opposite happened. We didn't just live side by side. We became true neighbors. Because really, what direction can you go after that experience? <laughs> we had a common story to share and to laugh about in the years ahead. So what was Jesus doing here in this parable? The parables Jesus told weren't to be reduced to a simple moral teaching. Just be a good neighbor. Now, his parables push us to go deeper, to expand our knowledge of God and our understanding of the world in which we live. Jesus' stories were meant and are meant for us to get a fuller picture or fill out the image of God that we often misunderstand because we don't risk inching close enough to God, to getting closer, to getting nearby. And fortunately, God doesn't leave us in our laziness or our fear or our stupidity. God is the neighbor in this story. God is the neighbor who drew near to the injured man, who bound up his wounds, who anointed him with oil. God is the one who showed mercy and shows mercy to us. God has decreased the distance between humankind and God's self. In Christ, the gap has been closed. In Jesus, God has come near to us, has become a neighbor to us, and God keeps knocking and knocking on our door and asking, won't you be my neighbor?
Thanks be to God.